Thanks for listening to this week's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. There can be a lot of frustrating moments during your job search, but one of the most discouraging is not making it past the first round of an interview, especially if it was a job that you were excited about or if you don't have a lot of other options on the table. Fortunately, a lot of the reasons that you might not hear back from a company can be overcome by making sure you're prepared before the interview begins. Chris Dove, an Orion recruiter and former Navy nuclear electrician's mate, joins the show to discuss some of the reasons you might not be getting a second interview. Chris and I discuss a few reasons that are out of your control, like the company choosing to hire internally or needs may have changed, but others like not cleaning up your social media accounts or not being able to sell yourself are within your control and we want to help you address those issues now before they prevent you from moving forward in the interview process. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, make sure you subscribe and share with a friend. I'd love to get your feedback, so if you have any ideas for a future guest or topic, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. Of course. It is your first time, so I am excited to have you, and I hope it goes well so I can have you on in the future and you know, pick your brain about all topics, recruiting and military transition, career advice, and things like that. Sounds good to me. So our topic today is an interesting article that I found on the website, The Balanced Careers, and it's going to talk about reasons why you haven't heard back or why you're not getting a second interview. And one of the things that I think could be the most frustrating for job seekers about the interview process is getting stuck in the same place every time. So some people feel like they can never even get their foot in the door for an interview, and other people will go for an interview and feel like it went well, but then they never hear anything back. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and um, some of the recommendations that they have, and then, of course, the recommendations that you have as well. But before we get into that, can you give us a brief introduction of your background, um, your military career, and what you do here at Orion? Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, in the Navy. I was a nuclear electrician's mate on a submarine. Um, So I did six years in the military, got out in 2015. Um, and then I actually went to an Orion Talent hiring conference uh, to get my post-military career. Um, they placed me with a company that's actually still one of their top clients. And I worked there for two years um, before switching jobs. And then uh, I worked another field service job for two years before coming to Orion. So I came full circle back to Orion. I was actually in the process of using Orion to find a new job um, after my last contract ended uh, when I decided to actually come work here. So. So far, so good. I think I made the right decision, and uh, mm-hmm. that's pretty much mm-hmm. it. Well, that's awesome. So you've really seen all sides of it. You've been the transitioning military job seeker. You went to an Orion conference, found another job, and now you're here. It's interesting because you're now a recruiter, and obviously being in field service, something totally different. So um, I'm sure that wasn't the easiest decision to make either, to decide to go a completely different route. Yeah, I mean, making a career pivot uh, – into a commission-based job from a salary job is uh, definitely a pretty scary thing to do. That's something that I think a lot of, um, even going back to your military career, um, a lot different from what you're doing now. And I think we see that a lot in transitioning veterans. You obviously see it a lot now being a recruiter. Um, So potentially I'm making a mental note to have you back on to discuss that topic because I think that might be helpful for people as well. But Like I mentioned, today we're going to talk about reasons that you're not getting a second interview, and it's from the article that I found on The Balanced Careers. Um, I want to talk through it here about your personal experience and your perspective as a recruiter. 
So the list starts out with some reasons that you're not getting the um, second interview that might be out of your control. And then it lists some of the things that you probably can influence. So if you're ready, we'll jump right into it. And I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, let's go. Okay, so the first one is the employer's needs might have changed. I feel like that one would probably be a little bit more applicable, especially if it was a company that maybe had like a longer hiring process because, you know, the longer you take, things can change. Someone might get internally promoted. Um, they might decide they don't have the budget for the position. But is this something that you see a lot? Um, yeah, not only from uh, companies like that, also from like small startup companies. Uh, they think that they want to hire somebody. And then, like, we, we had a case here, um, you know, what they were asking for in the candidate wasn't really fitting with the salary range they could afford, you know, being a small company. So, uh, you know, the company's needs change, and instead of being able to fill, like, a, a management position, they wanted someone at a lower level, you know, that they could actually afford. Um, so that's one thing that changes. And then a lot of times what happens is um, there's internal candidates that also apply, and it's obviously better for them to uh, interview and uh, promote internal candidates rather than an outside hire that they pay a fee for. Mm -hmm. And obviously in a perfect world, a company would get back to you and let you know that their needs have changed, but that doesn't always happen. So again, that's one of the benefits of working with a recruiting firm like Orion is that you've got a recruiter that can kind of keep you in the loop in the event that something like that happens. Right. Yeah, that's definitely one of the, the major advantages of using an agency. Um, because it's in our best interest to get back to you because, we, I mean, there's nothing that stops us from using it for another position. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the second one is um, maybe you weren't a, go a good cultural fit. And, you know, culture is something that when you go in for an interview, you should be assessing that on your end as well as a candidate because, you know, ultimately you want to end up somewhere where you're working with like-minded individuals, um, well, you know, there obviously there's room for differences, but in general, you want to get along with the people that you work with, um, see eye to eye to them, with them and just make sure that, you know, it's going to be a good fit for you, which is going to in turn be a good fit for them too. Um, and sometimes that's, they're evaluating you on that as well. And this is something that could be a little bit out of your control because while you want to put your best face forward at an interview and um, you know kind of show who you are that doesn't necessarily mean you are going to be in line with what they're looking for in their culture so do you have any input on this one um honestly that's like uh kind of like you know going on a first date the the viewpoints there are so subjective you might go on a first date with one person you know they really like you, you go on the same first date with somebody else and they don't like you at all. So the cultural fit, I think, is really the hardest thing to control out of this whole list um, because you never know what, you know, exactly that specific hiring manager is looking for. And, you know, I've, I've seen one hiring manager for a company rate someone at the lowest level for something they said, and then they're the number one candidate to somebody else because of that exact same thing they said in the interview. So uh, I think that's the most subjective one and probably the, the least, uh, the less, <laughs> the hardest one to prepare for is what mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah, and it's it is so important though, while it's so hard to prepare for, it's it's really gonna help the company decide who they're going to hire. I mean a lot of companies will say that for them a culture fit is just as important as someone who has the right skill set. So of course ideally they're looking for somebody who has both. However, um everyone always says they want to work with someone who they can go have a beer with after work or who they can hang out with. In general, people like to work with people that they get along with and um, 
you, you don't even, like I said, you don't have to see eye to eye on everything. You don't have to be um, the same. Of course, all organizations need different schools of thought and some differences, but um, at the very basic level, they're going to want people who believe in the same things to some extent and are just, you know, going to be a good cultural fit. But I agree with you that this one can be very subjective. And so I think really the advice for this one is to keep in mind that it is out of your control. Like I said, in the interview, you want to put your best face forward, but you don't want to go to an interview and pretend to be someone you're not to fit in and be a good cultural fit. So it's just keeping in mind that you might be somebody's cup of tea and not somebody else's, and that's okay. Exactly. Okay, so the third one is another one that's, um, it's the last one on the list that might be out of your control is that the hiring manager might secretly have someone else in mind. And I kind of alluded to that earlier um, in the first point, just in that sometimes there can be, you know, an internal candidate or something that they're considering. Maybe they weren't even legitimately considering external candidates, but they had to post the job anyway. I know we've seen things like that, but um, what do you think about this one? Can you think of any other examples? Um, I, I mean, I see this happen all the time. That's what I was talking about with the internal hire. Um, you know, sometimes it might be like even a friend of their wife or a friend of a friend, um, you know, they've, they've already met in person, they already want them for the job. And it's, you're basically not interviewing to get a job, you're, you know, trying to interview so well that you're trying to change someone's mind already. So I mean, you're already at a significant disadvantage. Um, but yeah, I definitely see that happen uh, more times than I'd like to. And, you know, another good point about this one is just going back to the cultural fit. So you mentioned maybe they want to hire a friend, and that kind of goes back to what I said about a culture fit sometimes being just as important or more important than having the skills for the job because if, if it's someone they already know, whether it's an internal candidate or a friend, they already know that person's a good culture fit. So it really does give them a leg up, and like you said, you're working at a disadvantage. Okay, so now we will get into some of the reasons that you can control. Um, so the first one is going to be that you blew the first interview, which this should not happen because we have tons of podcasts about how to succeed in first interviews. Um, you're working with our recruiters most likely, so you should have lots of tips for it to not go downhill. But with that being said, um, everyone has off days. You might interview with someone who you don't really jive very well with and maybe things just kind of go off the rails so can you talk a little bit more about this one um so that's a big thing for veterans really because like uh the first real job i ever had that wasn't like you know an entry-level position at like you know as a cashier uh was the military i didn't have to do an interview for that i just uh you know filled out a bunch of paperwork uh swore in and they sent me to boot camp so a lot of us, you know, we we haven't interviewed in anywhere from four to 20 years. Maybe we've never interviewed at all for any other jobs. So I think that's uh, the biggest thing that we're not prepared for. And I actually uh, did this myself. I showed up to the hiring conference and I did six interviews in one day. And the first three interviews that I did, I completely blew. Um, and that's what I, so I always tell everybody that comes to our hiring conferences now to be basically like an actor and to practice your answers in the mirror because I guarantee the, the 15th time you answer that question, it's going to be a better answer than your first time. So for me, it took me three interviews uh, to get out of the way, and then I did okay in my last three interviews, and then I came out of the conference with two job offers. So I recovered, but, uh, yeah, I definitely went in thinking, oh, you know, interviewing is easy. Like, you know, anybody can do it, but 
if you've never done it or practiced it, um, it's definitely a lot tougher. I think practicing is key because while you want to go to an interview and you want to be yourself and you want to be comfortable, I mean, everybody wants um, to not have that awkward first interview. That's not usually the case. I mean, you've got you know, a job on the line. It might be the only job you have in your pipeline. You might, you know, really need to get a job sooner rather than later. So, you know, all these things where you, of course, ideally would want to be comfortable and go in there and be yourself and it goes great. Um, You should try to be yourself as much as you can. However, practice is key. I mean, there are so many times that they can ask you an interview question that is such a common, frequently asked interview question that you really should have a ready-to-go response for it that, of course, you can tailor a little bit depending on your audience and um, things like that, the job itself, but you should have some rehearsed answers that you can give. And I mean, that's really just an interview best practice. So I would definitely encourage everybody to do that. Well, yeah. And that, I mean, that rolls over right into the, you didn't tell the right story. Um, if you mm-hmm. haven't practiced, the, you know, if you haven't practiced the answers and relating them to the specific task at hand, you know, then the interviewer is not going to make that connection for you. So I would think that's another huge problem for veterans is, you know, uh, we work on a certain type of equipment that usually isn't the same thing we're going to be working on in the civilian world, but all of the principles of it still apply. So, you know, you have to relate everything you did in the military to something, you know, that that employer knows. So like a lot of veterans get caught up using like acronyms from the Navy. And like, I've even read resumes from other nukes in the Navy and I can't tell you which which job they did um, because they're mm-hmm. using so many acronyms and it's like so general. So uh, yeah, I think that's probably the the hardest thing for veterans is knowing how to, it's not that they don't have the right story, it's that they're having trouble translating it into familiar terms. I think that's key, what you just said um, is translating because yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can um, give you an earful about what they did in the military and all the specific types of equipment they worked on and things like that. But if you're talking to someone who has never even heard of that equipment that you're talking about, it's going to mean nothing to them. And so it's not going to resonate with them. It's not going to stick with them. When they go back to their list of resumes and people that they interviewed, yours is not going to stick out because it's they're not going to really understand it. So uh, another interesting thing that this article mentions is preparing your elevator pitch. And so I think that's also really important for an interview. And I don't know if that's something you always encourage candidates to do as well, but um, I think that's very important as well. Yeah, and I mean, that goes right back into, you know, the the first interview practice that we talked about. You're gonna practice that that elevator pitch. You're gonna practice telling the right story. You know, you you wanna go in there having done this, you know, already 15 times at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And if anyone's unfamiliar with the phrase elevator pitch, I pro- I doubt it because I feel like it's something that everyone hears about, especially in the interview setting. It's it's basically just having a um, re- I guess I should say rehearsed, um, but at least kind of a response that you can give to someone. Um, very short. I mean, some people say a few sentences, thirty yeah, seconds. Two yeah. minutes or less. Yeah, so basically where you can sell yourself and, you know, tell them why you're the right person for the job. And that should be something that, you know, everybody who's looking for a job is able to do. So there's a couple on this list that I don't actually necessarily agree with. Um, Well, good. That's fine. (laughs) I'd like to hear your rebuttals to them. Okay, so we'll just move on and you can tell me which ones you don't agree with. So the next one on the list is that you didn't send a thank you note. 
Um, I don't so know if this it, is one that you disagree with. This is this is one. So I I understand that they're traditional and everything like that, but in 2019, if your deciding factor between a candidate getting hired and not is a thank you note, then you are messing up. This market is so full of great jobs out there right now that if you find a talented person and you're going to disqualify them over a thank you note, then you you're you're going to end up shooting yourself in the foot. That is probably one of the most ridiculous things. Will you hold it against them? Maybe mention it later. Like, oh hey, you you know you never sent me a thank you note or something. Maybe, but to disqualify this person from the job if they were your number one candidate because like I couldn't imagine any hiring manager doing that. They spent all this time finding the perfect person. And just because they didn't send a thank you note after the first interview, like eh, it seems seems a little uh, petty to me. Yeah, so I've got a couple thoughts on that. I mean, I I agree with you that it wouldn't be the primary disqualifier. I mean, especially if you've got someone who is your top candidate, you're not going to say, oh, I really wanted to hire them, but they didn't send me a thank you note, so now we're back to square one. I mean, nobody's going to do that. Um, However, I still do think as a candidate, it would be a best practice to still send a follow-up and at least show um, your appreciation for their time. It doesn't have to be anything lengthy, but I think, you know, it's still um, a nice thing to do. But I agree with you that it wouldn't be something that would immediately disqualify you from getting a second interview or even an offer for that matter. So, yeah, as, as long as we're clear on that, because... Uh... That that would just be ridiculous to me. But I mean, 68% of hiring managers did say that a thank you note influenced their decision. Uh, but it seems like that would be a very minor influence. Well, yeah, it just depends on how many other things. If they really like you as a candidate, you're a good cultural fit, and you've got the skills like we've mentioned before, it's definitely not going to be something that makes or breaks. However, I think it's still probably best practice for candidates. Oh, yeah, I definitely recommend doing it. I I 100% recommend doing it. I recommend doing nothing that could possibly disqualify you. So exactly. if you mm-hmm. don't, don't risk it. Yes, exactly. Okay, so this one, the next one is you didn't follow directions. And I feel like I see this a lot um, with our application process when we're, you know, sending, whether it's sending out emails to candidates and telling them where to apply. A lot of times you get responses like, um, you know, where do I apply to this job or just, directly sending the resume, even though you're asking people to apply online. And for us being, you know, a recruiting firm, we're willing to work with people and guide them in the right direction. However, with a lot of companies that are receiving so many applications, they really don't have time to um, walk you through the process. So I think in this case, it's really important to pay attention to what they're asking you to do. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, So, Obviously, us as recruiters, it's in our best interest just to help the person and kind of coach them. Whereas I know uh, if you apply to a job at Facebook, if you don't follow the directions exactly on that, uh, then you're immediately disqualified, no matter what your qualifications or experience is. And I mean, that might even be a way to weed people out because, I mean, you want someone who pays attention to detail and can, you know, do what they're being asked to do. And if you can't do something as simple as, following a um, application process, then I think that's probably going to raise a red flag. might be a minor red flag, but I still think it's going to catch the attention of whomever is doing the hiring. Okay, so, 
The next one, I have a feeling, because you said that you disagreed with some of these, I have a feeling this might be one of the ones you disagree with, but correct me if I'm wrong. So this one is you were too persistent. And I feel like this I, can be such a fine line. So I'd like to hear your I thoughts know, on it. I don't know how you uh, already know which ones I disagree with, but you are exactly right. Um, <laughs> so so for, for a hiring manager, right, it's, a, it's an important decision for them, but it's not necessarily a life-changing decision. Um, especially for a recruiter, you know, um, you know, I have some investment in the process, but it's not going to be life changing for me either. But for the candidate, you know, um, this process, it, it could be life changing for them. It could be their dream job. You know, they might have to move across the country. Um, you know, it might be a career pivot. It, you know, it's a really big decision to them. So I always tell people, you know, follow up with me as much as you possibly can. If I ever have an issue with you following up, I'll politely tell you to check in, at, you know, at longer intervals usually i tell people to check in with me at least once a week um some people do it like every other day but it's a huge decision for them so i don't fault them for that and i mm -hmm. appreciate the persistence you know my thoughts on this one is that um like i said it's such a fine line that what's to say too much maybe some people like the persistence some people don't and so it also kind of gets to the point where if a hiring manager or recruiter is letting kind of stringing you along and letting the process drag out so long that you're having to contact them so many times that they're getting annoyed by it, then maybe that's, you know, a hint to you like, hey, maybe this is not the right opportunity because you don't want to work for someone who is not going to get back to you either. So it goes both ways. They might think that's too persistent, but if you feel like you're in a position where you're constantly having to follow up, then it might be a good sign that it's not a good fit for you because it's going to be a company who moves slower than you would like, or, you know, say you get to the next round of interviews, how long is it going to take for you to get an offer and things like that. So I agree with you on this one. Cool. Well, at least we're on the same page. <laughs> uh, and then yeah. it looks like uh, we only have two more to go. Yes. Okay. So the next one is your social media is too revealing. I mean, this is one that's been around for years. It's just with, you know, how many social media started with Facebook, it had to be that you had to have a school email address to get in. So people posted whatever they wanted back in the day. Now you obviously cannot do that because employers are going to be looking for you sometimes even before they call you for an interview. And this article says that 47% of employers said that they would be unlikely to hire a candidate that they couldn't find online. So it's not just a matter of you know, cleaning up your profiles, you also don't want to go completely dark or else they might think that you are living under a rock somewhere, you have something to hide. So um, do you have any input on this one? And what do you tell your candidates that you work with about their social media presence? So I just assume that in 2019, like you said, this has been going on for years now, that people are smart enough to, you know, especially when you're on the job search, like you should be careful what you say online anytime because it's you know it's there etched in stone for everyone to see you know you don't know who screenshot it you don't know you know where it's being sent to so always be careful with that but especially during a job search you should at least go back you know through your social media and just make sure there's nothing completely outrageous there you don't want to do anything to disqualify yourself prematurely Mm-hmm. definitely okay so the last one on the list is if you list a reference who's not on your side, and I know sometimes people don't even check references, so maybe that's another topic is like, how important are they? I know we do here at Orion, but what's your input on this one? 
Um, references are very important. You should always have at least three of them uh, outside of your family, professional references that will give you a good reference. And you can always talk to them about what they're going to say beforehand. Because I ran into the same thing, checking someone's references. And, you know, it takes, like, I can't think of really anybody in my life that I would give a bad reference to just because mm -hmm. I don't want to be the reason they don't get that job. So I feel like you got to make a pretty bad impression on someone in order for them to give you a bad reference. You know, they know that it's an important thing. They know what they're doing and to cost you a job. You know, they, you must have a pretty bad impression of someone. So I couldn't imagine putting someone down that I left that bad of an impression on, but it happens all the time. So I just say, check your own references before you submit them. You can talk to the people about what they actually think about you. And if they're honest with you and they say, they tell you something negative, then at least you know, and you can find somebody else that will speak more positively to you. <laughs> um, so you mentioned having professional resumes. Do you or resumes, professional references? Do you run into a lot with candidates having, um, like family members, or do you think that that's so something many, that people kind of understand? No, so many aunts, uncles, mothers, and cousins. <laughs> Oh, gosh, yes. And that's something that you definitely do not want to do. I mean, um, like I said earlier, with the whole not following instructions thing, um, Orion, as a recruiting firm, we're obviously going to work with candidates a little bit more than, you know, another company would, but you definitely would not want a hiring manager calling your mom. That's not, it's not going to help you get the job. Well, I actually had a candidate list his stepmom, so she had a different name, and uh, he was like, we're not related. <laughs> so he, he thought that you would count as a professional reference just because they, there was no blood relation there. So I thought that was pretty comical. That is really funny. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I think it was good that you disagreed with some of these on this list because, um, yeah, it's just an article that we found online. It's not like it's something that is all 100% truth. And I feel like that's how a lot of um, career advice and references are. It's just going to be well, so different from company to company and, and person to person. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's it's a changing world. Every, like, the market is so hot right now for candidates. And, um, you know, I just want everyone to realize that it really is subjective. You can go to an interview and you can be your best self and put your best foot forward and you're perfect for the job, but you don't make a connection with that hiring manager and you're likely not going to get the job. So mm -hmm. it truly, I, I truly describe it as dating. Exactly. Well, speaking of, um, I did want to ask you about, you know, now that we've gone through the list, is there anything that's not on the list that you think is a pitfall in the interview process that you see commonly with candidates? Oh, that's, that's actually a really good question. But I, I think this list has been pretty, pretty much spot on with the things that are the most subjective and that you can actually control. I would say, especially going back to the point that you reiterated multiple times at the beginning was just the importance of practicing, making sure that you are prepared and you know what you're going to say to sell yourself. Um, it, just those, you know, common interview best practices and things that your recruiter is going to tell you over and over again. Um, you can hear it on lots of these podcasts. We have tons of interview podcasts from difficult, frequently asked questions to just, you know, regular questions you should expect to hear and things like that. So as long as you're prepared, I think that is um, the one thing that will help you above all else, get a second interview or get an offer, whatever the interview process looks like. 
I actually did think of something that a lot of people still make the mistake of, and that's uh, bad-mouthing a previous employer. No matter what yeah. the reason is that you left, blaming other people is never going to look uh, positively upon yourself. So always, you know, say, oh, you know, it was a learning process. You know, I reached, you know, the end of my growth there, and I just thought it was time to move on. You know, you, you, you don't have to spin it necessarily in a positive light, and you never want to lie or be dishonest. But you also don't want to badmouth the employer ever because they know that, you know, you might do the same thing to them when you leave their company. Exactly. And no matter how right you think that you will appear to them in this situation, like maybe your previous employer was clearly in the wrong um, everyone usually who is an adult knows that there's two sides to every story. So by you bad mouthing the employer, like you said, they're going to probably, even if they think that you sound like you probably have a good case in the back of their mind, they're going to be thinking, hmm, I wonder if this ends badly here. What is this person going to say about us in their next interview? Exactly. Or, or maybe not even that, not even in the next interview, they might think, what will they say to us if they get or about us if they get hired here and you know they hit a couple bumps in the road what are they going to be saying to their coworkers? are they going to become someone who is constantly speaking negatively about the organization um, nobody wants to work with someone who's negative so you definitely don't want to show that side at all in the interview process well especially in the world of uh, Yelp and Glassdoor reviews you know mm -hmm. you, you, make, you make the wrong person mad and they're smearing you all over the internet yeah but, exactly uh, yeah awesome i i think we covered about everything today Megan. what do you think yeah i think so well you know the only i think we mentioned you know obviously the tips for succeeding is being prepared are there any others i feel like we focus on more of the things to avoid but i just want to see if there was anything else you wanted to share on you know, tips for success, like if there's any top two, top three things you tell your candidates when they're preparing for an interview? Um, you know, I think we honestly covered them all today. It's mostly just that practice, that elevator pitch, having good answers that relate your skills to what they're looking for. And if you can do that, I mean, you're almost there. Yeah. Well, very good, Chris. Thank you so much for joining. And like I said, I'm definitely going to have you back on if you're willing. Yeah, absolutely, Megan. I'll talk to you then. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.